you know, money is not the root of all evil. Money is a tool. And if you can put money into the hands of the right people, you're going to do a lot of good. And I can't think of anybody better to put money into the hands of than gym owners. Welcome back to the show. Today, my guest is Chris Cooper. Chris was a gym owner back in 2005, and like many of us, when we're starting out young with no business sense, it is a struggle of an experience. But Chris was lucky enough to figure out that mentorship was the way to go, and he really started leaning into business education and finding and seeking out the help that he needed, and ultimately that led him into creating his own gym mentorship business called Two Brain Business, which is now the largest gym mentorship company in the world. Chris has not only had a major impact on my life and my facility at Hardbat Athletics, but he has also helped countless gym owners not only find financial freedom, but also earn their time back and be able to do more inside of their communities to improve the health and wellness of everyone around them. Chris is an amazing human, and I know that you're going to take that out of this podcast. Enjoy. Hey everyone, real quick before we dive into the episode, you probably heard about this podcast directly from someone else or saw it shared on social media. We can only grow, spread our message further, and keep bringing in awesome and amazing guests with your help. If you could take five seconds and hop on whatever podcast platform you're using and leave us a review, it would mean the world to us. On to the show. Cooper, welcome to the show. Thanks, Derek. Super fired up to be here. <laughs> Dude, I was just joking around with you about how excited I was to steal an hour of your time, and you told me that it's uh, it's actually much easier to grab than, than one would imagine. <laughs> yeah, I'm not as busy as people think. Yeah. Well, I mean, you've set your, your life up that way, I would imagine. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, we're at this stage now where time is worth more than money, and so we're pretty careful about how we invest it. Yeah, but I'm sure you also do the things that light you up. Yeah, yeah. Actually, if I'm shifting in my seat a lot, it's because I had a really hard uh, training workout this morning on the bike. And so my hip flexors are like locking the first one, the left one, and then the right one. So um, <laughs> if you need yeah. to get up and sit down a bunch of times, don't worry. I won't. We'll, we'll, we'll crop that out. Yeah, no problem. I'm just shifting from like one hip to the other here as we talk. That's all. Yeah, I definitely uh, later on in the podcast want to get into some of the details around cycling with sure. you because yeah. I, I think that'll be interesting. But um, so thank you so much for hopping on. Um, you know, I think that this is really interesting for me and will be fascinating for the audience because your kind of trajectory and, and starting point looks nothing like where you are now, right? And I think that while what you do is different, the types of people you serve and the people they serve is all in alignment. Um, so can you give the audience a picture of what it was like for you wanting to start a gym back in, what was it, 2004? Yeah, 2004, I was starving. Um, so I was working really super hard as a personal trainer. I had already been a trainer for like eight years 
and I was making maybe about 19,000 a year and it was just not enough. You know, we had made a, a big financial commitment. My wife and I, we were having our first baby and I said, I need to make more money. And there was one particular day that I remember, Derek, where I worked like 13 hours straight and I didn't have a lunch break. It was just one hour client session after one hour client session. And at the end of the day, I was like counting up how much I was taking home after taxes and it still wasn't enough. So I said, there's got to be another way here. And uh, I had two clients who were business partners and um, at, they were already talking to me about starting my own gym. And one of them had $16,000 in a bank overdraft or something that he was ready to invest. And I'm kind of a chicken about this stuff. So he's like, don't commit, but we'll go, we'll tour some local facilities and we'll see if there's anything you like. So he and I went for lunch. We looked at a space. And by the time we got back from lunch, the owner of the studio had already found out that I was out there looking for new spaces and he fired me on the spot. And so then I didn't have a choice. Um, he did make a big mistake. He, he made me write a letter to all the clients explaining why I was leaving. <laughs> so of course, <laughs> so I started my new gym with like 30 clients, you know, on day one. And, um, that certainly helped, but I quickly realized it's a completely different skill set and I wasn't making any more money than I had been. And in fact, now I had expenses that I didn't have before. So that's that's how I got started. Um, I did have the forcing function of like needing to get paid every week, which was really helpful long term. But Yeah, I mean, being in a position where you have to cut the check for yourself is, is a motivator like yeah. none other. Yeah, so... You know, so we we fast forward and, and we move to about 2009, and at this point is when you finally summoned up the courage to kind of seek out help outside of just the hard lessons that you had to learn on your own. What was it for you that kind of pushed you over the ledge to seek mentorship? Well, I kind of hit rock bottom on a few different fronts. So in uh, 2008, we were, you know, I was making about 40,000, 42,000 a year doing personal training, but I was working a 16 hour day every day. And uh, when my daughter was born, like I couldn't even take the full day off to be at the hospital with them. And then I got injured. Uh, I was in a powerlifting meet, um, tore my QL and I like couldn't stand up and I had to go to work anyway. And I had like this powerlifting belt, like just clanked around my, my waist. Uh, I was taking like Tylenol and like just, you know, tears were in my eyes all day from pain. And I'm like, something's got to change. We got to scale. There's got to be a better way. And around that time, one of my trainers had started fooling around with CrossFit. And it seemed like this was the natural way to scale up a personal training studio. And so we tried it with a focus group. Um, this focus group loved it. And we said, this is it. We're going to open up a second location. So we opened a second location in mid-2008. And by early 2009, I was pretty much bankrupt. Um, I wasn't, I was, now I was missing paychecks and I found myself on this park bench, like going, okay, Chris, um, you're not just going to figure this out. You're not going to work any harder. You can't, you're not going to take fewer days off. Like you're not going to starve more than you already are. Um, something's got to happen differently. Like what's the opposite of what you are doing now? And the opposite of what I would do is ask for help. And, um, just as luck would have it, there was help available. I got into a mentorship program. I got some help from the bank and, um, the, the mentor started teaching me stuff. Um, 
the first was that like my my business wasn't ready to grow that i was wasting money on marketing because i had a bad business and i i thought i had a good business so he's like turn off your marketing right now and let's systemize everything and um after the first two hour session i was like i cannot afford to like forget a single thing this guy is telling me so i started writing it down on this free type pad blog called don't buy ads because that was the first thing that he told me was stop buying advertising. You're not ready to grow. That's fascinating. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I find really interesting around mentorship is that as a business owner, you know, especially in the, in the gym industry, like we all field the questions and concerns from our family and friends and coworkers constantly around health and fitness advice. And one of the things we always tell people is like, go get a coach, go find someone, right? But then on our own, we 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 are are stubborn ourselves, right? And and it takes time for us to seek those things out um, on our own. Like I, you know, funny enough, I spoke with you in 2016 over the phone, awesome, because because I was looking to uh, to bring on Two Brain, and and what do you know? It took me an additional five years to actually say enough is enough. I got to go all in on this. Um, and it's just so funny because in reflection, I look back and I'm like this entire time you were, you were getting frustrated with clients that wouldn't seek out guidance yet you were, you know, putting up the barriers for yourself. So what do you think is, makes it so hard for people to look, you know, find help? I don't know if it's just our industry, Derek. I mean, honestly, like I primarily work in the fitness industry and there, there are a lot of alphas, but more than anything, it's a lot of us want to figure it out on our own. And the mistake I think that we're making, or at least the mistake that I made, was thinking that it was just a matter of knowledge, that if I knew enough, I would eventually be successful and somebody was doing something different that I hadn't learned about yet. And that's not actually it. And you know, when I was in trouble, I also didn't have all the overwhelm of podcasts and Facebook. Like There was no social media back then. And what I really needed was somebody to say, you know, out of everything, here's the one thing you need to do right now. Like put everything else on hold, put your blinders on and do this one thing this weekend. And the, the first thing that I did was write a staff playbook. And, you know, I had read the e-myth. I knew that I should write a staff playbook. But on Friday, Dennis made me write him a check for $500 that I didn't have. And all day Saturday and Sunday, I sat at my coffee table and I wrote out my staff playbook and I hated it. It was just the worst weekend ever. And um, on Monday, he said, okay, I want you to call five clients and tell them that you're committed to making your gym better and ask them to come back. And I did. And one came back and paid and that covered his check. And then we just kept going week by week from there. But like, that's really what mentorship is about. It, it's like creating focus. And that's why a lot of people will say like, when you buy coaching, you buy speed all of your clients out there are buying speed from you as a fitness coach, right? Like, yeah, you have more knowledge than they do, but they could go get that knowledge. Nobody can outthink the internet. So it's really a matter of they're finding value in your coaching because you're telling them exactly what to do right now to get the result they want. Yeah. I want to tie in two points that you made that I find really, really interesting. One, when you spoke of being on that park bench and thinking to yourself, Chris, I can't work any harder, right? I think what yeah. you illuminated there was that so often, whether you're an entrepreneur or someone seeking fitness, 
it's easy to lean into the thought of if only I worked harder, I could achieve the, the goals that I'm setting out to achieve. And when you're working 16 hours a week, you can't work any harder than that, right? Like you, it's not feasible. And then on the flip side of that, what you just mentioned, as far as creating the playbook is leverage. Like you took something that although was a painstaking process was very front loaded. And then on the back end, allowed you to have something that could be replicatable in terms of the service you provided for a very long time, you know? And I think it's just funny how those two things tie in, right? You recognize that the hard work was actually just doing the things you didn't feel like doing. It wasn't trying to work more than 16 hours a day. Yeah, man. I had at that time. So Dennis was telling me like, you have to do this hard thing and it's hard because you hate it. But I had a tremendous work ethic. Like I was brought up on a farm where you just worked all the time. And, um, you know, I, I was powerlifting at the time and, um, I forget which guy from Louis Simmons gym said it, but they had this quote and it was like, this gym is all I know. It's all I have. And I will, I will die here if I have to. And I had that written on a cue card and like taped to the, the dashboard of my truck. And that's the mentality that I had at the time. And then finally I was like, hang on, I'm going to die for this, but that's not going to fix it anyway. So (laughs) (laughs) what's the right answer? And the right answer was like doing the uncomfortable things that you hate, like writing a staff playbook. Right. Now you mentioned that a lot of the problems that we discuss and will continue to discuss exist uh, outside of the fitness industry, but obviously you find a lot of meaning in helping gym owners. Um, Where does that come from? I think it's, you know, having been a gym owner for so long myself, and I do still own the gym, I've been around thousands of them. And for a while, I worked for CrossFit, and I would travel and I would meet more gym owners. And now through Two Brain, you know, I talk to thousands of them, like dozens every day. And I've never met a greedy, a selfish, uh, you know, a a money-grubbing gym owner. I don't think they exist. Nobody got into this because they think, oh, this is the fast path to a million. Everybody got in this to serve. And what I've learned over time is like, you know, money is not the root of all evil. Money is a tool. And if you can put money into the hands of the right people, you're going to do a lot of good. And I can't think of anybody better to put money into the hands of than gym owners. The flip side of that is that you've got people who are passionate about service. They're willing to take a vow of poverty to do this for a few years. And, you know, five or six years in, they give up and quit because they're starving. Well, why not just help them do a little bit better so they can last 30 years and absolutely compound the effect that they're having on the world. I can't think of a better investment. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, for myself, that has been one of the, the best realizations ever since uh, jumping on board with Two Brain is just that as the gym makes more money, it means that I can provide more value to my members through better systems and offerings for my coaches. You know, so even on the yeah. micro level down to what the gym owners are doing themselves, I think that that sentiment becomes very apparent as you begin to grow. It's true. It's true of the gym owner. It's true of the coaches in the gym. Everybody wants to be able to provide their best service because the clients deserve it. Like they want to give the client their best. And if you're tired, starving, fighting with your spouse about money, you know, standing in the parking lot and going, oh my God, what did I get myself into? Like you can't deliver your best service. And, you know, one of the things that 
that I have loved over the evolution of my gym as we started charging more for the service is that we can afford to be really generous now and we can give people gifts that absolutely delight them. You know, we can take up their, take their picture and have it printed and put it up on the wall. Like we can afford to do that stuff now. When before I thought I was really doing them a favor by charging a low rate. The reality is like I'm giving them so much more now and they're paying more and we're in this like virtuous cycle of value. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you know, it said, you know, so I, I know we kind of got into this indirectly, but you run two brain business, which is a mentorship group for gyms. Yeah. And it said that, you know, gym owners or other entrepreneurs, uh, typically, uh, where they've run into walls is either in skill sets, character traits, or beliefs or self beliefs. How do you think this, the tools, and the systems that Two Brain has put in place has kind of updated that software for gym owners. Well, you can definitely see it um, empirically. You see it in the conversations that we have now. So the conversations that you would have had with gym owners, especially CrossFit affiliates, ten years ago, would have been very anti-profit. And if you were on the CrossFit message boards back then, and you said the word profit, you would be accused of being some, you know, greasy slime ball. And you should get the hell out and you should quit and you should like suffer for your art and you should take a vow of poverty. Now the conversation is really about, okay, my gym is doing well. How do I reinvest? How do I pay for full-time coaches? You know, the, the sad part is that most of the people who would have been in that conversation where profit was condemned, they're bankrupt now, they're gone. And so we don't get to learn anything from them. At the other end of the spectrum, you know, we track data a lot, and that's how we decide what to tell gym owners. So every month we publish a leaderboard, like who is who has the most clients, who has the highest value clients, who's keeping clients the longest. And then we interview those people and say, like, what are you doing? And so um, every month you, you go through this kind of new generation where everything that we teach gets upgraded. And frankly, man, like the, the gyms in Two Brain right now are generations better than mine. Like they've evolved so many times as our curriculums have evolved that like people are building these million dollar gyms, which I never even dreamed of. Yeah, it is. It is pretty amazing. Amazing to sit to see. I mean, I would say that my evolvement of my own self-belief has changed a lot by the way of just getting into rooms with people that are doing things that I either mm -hmm. thought were impossible or, or pretty near to it. Um, you know, I, I, I know you continue to seek mentorship yourself at higher and higher levels as you continue to ascend, uh, as an entrepreneur and as a leader, um, you know, can you speak to the importance of that for you and how that's kind of reframed your own self-beliefs? So what I've found is that at first knowledge was enough. So to get two brain, um, I'm going to speak in dollars if that's okay. Yeah, sure. Because uh, I don't remember exact client counts, but you know, to get two brain from two hundred and fifty thousand a year to a million a year, what I needed was somebody who had done it, like one person, and that person was Dan Martell. And um, so the business went like from a quarter million a year to a million, and the next year we went to two, and I was like, okay, so business doubles every year. Then got it, like easy. Um, but what I found was that th the more you grow the more your needs evolve from like one figurehead person to a group of specialists. And so now I refer to the mentors that I have as kind of like a Navy SEAL team. 
So I'll mm-hmm. talk with uh, Sharon Srivatsa about investment. I'll talk to Bonnie Skinner at Level Up Coaching about my mindset, which has really had to evolve with this bigger team. Um, I'll talk to my gym has its own mentor. So uh, Haley, the GM of Catalyst, now works with Karen Hazelton at Two Brain Business. You know, and I'll have like um, Taki Moore is like a mentor for growing the coaching practice. You know, I right now I have a podcasting mentor. And so he runs a 12 week course. His name is Luis. And um, it's like 20 grand for 12 weeks. And then, you know, we've planned out in 2023 who our mentors will be. And they're basically like specialist coaches, because at this stage in two brain, like just incremental improvements of one percent better podcast, one percent better YouTube makes just a dramatic difference to everybody. Yeah, there's a compounding effect on those. You know, it, yeah. one of the things I hear you say regularly in, in your podcast is that if you want to do something new, you should seek out the people that are doing it well and and emulate them. Yeah. Um, and I think that seems, it sounds like that's what you've done by creating this team. And I think that what the team provides you is is perspective. You know, I think sometime if we try to find a mentor that is this like overarching uh, coach for everything that we do, what we forget is that everyone specializes in something, right. And is making educated guesses on everything else, you know, and I think that's, what's really, really allowed, you know, my mentorship, um, through you and through Sean Ryder, who's going to be coming on in, in the coming weeks. Oh boy. I know. Super excited. Um, you know, he's given me direction in a very like narrow field, but it's allowed us to stay really focused. And if we've wanted to look elsewhere, for instance, into podcasting, like I've had to branch out. So I too, am starting to create that Navy SEAL team. Well, well maybe Rangers at this point, not Navy SEAL, but we're getting there. We're climbing, <laughs> we're climbing the ladder, but um, yeah. listen, I'm, I, I'm building, you know, my team too. So it's funny you mentioned that because I never thought about it that way, but it's true. I think I just saw it happening in two brain. When I started my first 10 clients, I was just saying, well, here's what I did. And you know, I was the person that had a little tiny bit of experience in a lot of different areas. And so the first mentors that we hired at Two Brain were a reflection of that. You know, they were supposed to be pretty smart about everything. And then over time, as the gyms in the program kept growing and growing and growing, it became obvious that no single person could keep up in all areas. You know, we'd have mentors who were amazing at leadership, but knew nothing about Instagram and, and vice versa. And, um, you know, so we went through a few generations on the mentoring team there where we had to kind of get over that belief. And now, um, you know, Sean is definitely part of that, what I would call the, the more progressive school, right? The, the enlightened mentor, um, where if he doesn't know the answer to something, he can connect you to the person who does. And that he sees as like a very powerful role. Well, and that's one of the values that you get by working with a mentorship group that has such, you know, you, you have built such a great team of people that the network is, it's kind of like the, the, uh, the the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. Oh yeah. 10,000 times better. Yeah. If you're looking for something, you're going to find it somewhere. Yeah. Honestly, like most of my job in the last year has been not you know, what is the answer to this problem, but who knows the answer or who has experience and then just pointing people that way. And now we actually train people on the team to do that. So Krista, one of our CSMs, she is amazing at this and she keeps like a superpower list of all the mentors. Uh, Peter Brasovan, who's now the head mentor, he does the same thing. Like, 
okay, uh, you know, you want to talk about whole life, overfunded whole life, you're going to talk to Sean Ryder. And he's great at like just pushing people where they need to go. And you're right. There's no one person anywhere who can know all this stuff to the depth that we have. On so you're team. saying Two Brain has like a concierge service? Yeah, well, the CSMs <laughs> definitely yeah. form that form that role, yeah. That's great. So, Chris, I do want to zoom out a little bit. Sure. Um, you know, you, you started with getting into the fitness industry because you just didn't enjoy this yourself. You're somebody that was a fitness enthusiast and you liked helping people. And now, you know, however many years later has grown into the number one mentorship um, business for gym owners in the world. Yeah. Do you ever take the time? I know this is so hard, but like, do you ever take the time to just genuinely think about, you know, the, the gratitude and the accomplishments and everything that's taken place over the time since you started? Yeah, that's most of my day. And um, usually I'm up around five and my dog goes out at 630. And by the time I come back from that short walk, I'm filled with this sense of wonder that it's like, uh, what the hell happened? Like, did I scratch the right lottery ticket? Am I getting away with something here? Like, it, <laughs> it's almost like too momentous to to fully process. And then, you know, like during the day you get uh, involved in the minutia and the little details, but there are people on the team that I do have these crazy high level conversations with. And we had a town hall meeting last week with all the mentors. And we talked about like the levels of influence and um, it, what you'll start to see on social media now is some of the two brain mentors forming their own mentorship practice in their community because they want to impact business in their town. And so they'll, you know, if, if a gym comes to them for help, they'll go through two brain, but if the flower shop needs help, they'll go directly to Taryn and she's got her own practice. And so we were talking about levels of influence and um, you know, the first level is just like experience. I did this, here's how it worked. And then you go up in levels until you reach this point where it's kind of like people turn to you for the answer. And two brain is sort of at that level now because of our dedication and investment in data. But the next level is influence, which is people turn to you and they can't really tell you why, <laughs> or like, you know, they just want to be part of the movement. They, you know, they believe in your cause. And that's the, the level that CrossFit reached at its apex was, was kind of like this inspirational level. And I think like, that's our biggest opportunity right now is we are making millionaires. We're getting people way past where I thought was possible in the fitness industry but it's time for us to turn to the next generation of entrepreneurs and actually inspire kids to become entrepreneurs or inspire people who are just not inspired by their job to do something for themselves. And that's what's going to fix our economy. That's what's going to fix our health. That's what's going to fix our governmental problems um, and ultimately the world. Why do you think that it's not as prominent or as popular for children or, or teens to tell their parents or the people that, um, you know, are above them, be it a mentor or someone at school that they want to start a business. Why is it so much more normalized to, to kind of like keep the sights set on a, a pursuit within a specific career field? I think it's just generational. So, you know, our grandparents, uh, they were happy to have three square meals a day. That was the goal. And so our parents were guided towards security, get a good job, like, join the union, um, you know, get a, go work for IBM, like do something that you're going to have for 30 years and a pension to look forward to at age 65. 
and that was kind of the tail end of a lot of things like the industrial age and the baby boom and stuff. But those days are gone. And now if you want to have, um, you know, if you want to have a career, you're probably going to change careers four or five times. By the time you graduate university, the stuff that you've learned in your first year is already obsolete. Like for kids to have a career, they're basically going to have to invent that career now. And so the skills that they're going to need for these jobs that we can't even imagine right now, the skills are public speaking, empathy, like communication. You have to know a language, even if that language is code. You have to learn how to sell, even if it's just like to sell your idea to your boss or your coworker or your staff, or, or you have to sell yourself as a potential employee. And you have to understand the creation of value. And if you can create value, uh, you're, you're never going to be out of work. And if you know how to build an audience, you're never going to go hungry. But of course, like this is the stuff that schools shy away from. They don't teach kids personal finance. They don't teach them public speaking. They don't teach them how to take care of their fitness and their health. And so as the school system just becomes more and more obsolete, like somebody has to step into that gap and just inspire kids and young adults toward entrepreneurship as a viable career path. Yeah, we ran a CrossFit Kids Camp last summer, and um, I know our, our youth coach already has like three or four camps on the calendar for 23, Sick. and one of the favorite activities for the kids was the leadership entrepreneur-based activities where they're like designing a logo and coming up with a company. Like They, they totally bought in. They loved it. Yeah, I love it. And there are things out there like Shark Tank that, that do get people excited about this. What we want to do is give them tangible tools. We actually have a new site called businessisgood.com with a new podcast that will help with this. But the reality is like the the returns on long-term education are diminishing. The returns on entrepreneurship are actually increasing really dramatically right now. And um, the tools of entrepreneurship are cheap, accessible. It's this amazing sweet spot right now uh, in time where anybody can build an audience using tools they have in their pocket and profit uh, almost to infinity from that audience as long as they understand value. Yeah. Now, one of the, the major benefits, at least uh, in the long term of seeking the entrepreneurial uh, road is the benefit of the free, of freedom of time or attaining freedom of time and freedom of money. You know, what has that looked like for you over time? And, and what do you hope it allows for, for the gym owners that you work with? Well, so I can remember when it hit me, um, Robin and I were at this cafe on this dock uh, on this Island, like where we have a cottage. And uh, this was probably five years ago. And um, we were just sitting there waiting for our dinner. And I said, you know, I think I'm going to retire. So I would have been 42 or 43. And she said, retire from what? <laughs> that's a great question and i was like that's that's a damn good point the first thing that i ever said to my mentor because he dennis was like what scares you the most let's deal with that and i said um you know i'm never going to pay for my kids to go to college and i'm never going to retire from this and he said you're never going to retire anyway just stop worrying about that and i said okay done you know but the reality is like i i love what i do and it it literally doesn't feel like work i wake up at 4 a.m excited to start going uh, all the time, like beat the alarm all the time. And, you know, so to me, that's what it's really all about. Now for that to happen though, you can't be working a 16 hour day. 
you you have to be making more money than you need. Like all these things that stress you out have to be at least mitigated. And what happened, the hard part for a lot of people when they reach this phase, honestly, is understanding that their value as a human is no longer tied to how long or how hard they work or what their output is. Their value now is their contribution. And a lot of that means you have to like self-optimize. You have to be physically fit. You have to be cognitively fit. Most of your time now is, is not chopping down the tree, it's sharpening the ax. And you, it almost helps to think of yourself as a mental athlete. And so like, that's a tough one to learn, you know, but, um, so typically like my work day is three or four hours of meetings a day. And the rest of the time is preparing, uh, preparing to think creatively, deeply, analytically. So I, I wind up doing like, you know, workouts every day. I spend time outside every day, um, that kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, why, why retire from something that provides you meaning and that oh, yeah. you enjoy doing and keeps you young? You know, um, I, I agree with you when it comes to the mental athlete and, and one of the struggles that I've had is it's, it's easy to say you're going to take a break. It's another thing to actually take a break. So, <laughs> yeah. you, and I don't know how much you struggle with this still, but it's just so there's so many things that can pull your attention and you're like, Oh, I'm going to throw on sports center or like, Oh, I'm going to, I've been, you know, like you're into cycling, which we'll get into here in a second, but it's like, Oh, I'm going to just look and see what's in the industry right now. And you're like, you're not resting. Like boredom yeah. is the ultimate playground for creativity. Give yourself a true break. You know, do you struggle with that as well? Yeah, I do. But, um, Seth Godin actually taught me why. So it's biological and we have this little organ in our brain called the amygdala. And this is like very primeval part of our brain. It's like right on the brainstem. But everything that we see or hear gets processed through this first. And the amygdala is in charge of fight or flight. And so over time, what can happen is the amygdala can grow like a muscle. It can take over a slightly larger piece of our brain. And so it can grow to like the size of a walnut. And entrepreneurs, especially in the digital age, are so surrounded by distraction and urgency and i gotta fix this thing right now that we actually train our brain to look for those things and so when people reach this level where hey i don't have to work on fridays anymore what do they do on fridays they go to the gym and look for something broken they start fights with their wife like they you know they look for crap on instagram that pisses them off like it's it's just our brain reacting and it is so hard to untrain that that um you need like aerobic exercise you need to avoid sugar but you also need uh to talk to somebody like a psycho a psychotherapist and like have deliberate practice to not do that just another person on the navy seal team right <laughs> exactly man i would never you know there i i traveled enough with like legit warriors and navy seals that i would never ever compare anything that i do with what they've done um, but it is almost like a, a post stress syndrome, maybe not a post trauma syndrome that entrepreneurs go through. Sure. Now, part of, uh, you know, growing two brains to where you have and seeking out this freedom of time and also finding meaning and in, in generosity has led you into some other ventures. Um, what are some of the other things you've used this freedom of time and your pursuit of, of generosity and, and growing for yourself. What are some other things that you've done outside of two brain? Well, we're fortunate now that we can be really deliberate about, um, 
where we spend our time, as I said. So Robin runs our local food bank and I try to, to volunteer to do mentorship whenever I can. But, uh, you know, we can be deliberate about our time, but at the same time, when a need arises, it's very easy to just jump in and solve the problem. And so one thing that I learned really early on from a mentor named Sharon Tribata is that if you, if you have money, like if money solves your problem, then you don't have a problem. And so from that, I, I learned like money doesn't solve every problem, but it sure solves the money problems. And the bottom line is like, there are a lot of money problems out there. When I was traveling with Greg Glassman, um, he taught me like just find a place where $10,000 will make an immediate and profound difference and just give them the money. And so I've taken that to heart. And, and now, um, you know, we see all the times, all the time, like here's a place where $5,000 injected in cash right now will actually turn things around for this person. You know, when, when you actually go out and look for those opportunities, they're all around you. Um, sometimes they're really cool and they make the media like buying bikes for local kids in foster care. And sometimes it's just like, you know, here's a, here's somebody who's serving, they're in a bind, a thousand dollars will buy their groceries or a thousand dollars will pay for their plane ticket to get to wherever, whatever. Like those are both things that we've done in the last couple of weeks, just because we could, you know, um, one of our favorites is about 10 years ago, a local hockey league was going to fold. And it was all just farm kids. You know, they had like ragtag pieces of equipment from older brothers and sisters. They weren't good enough to make any teams in the city, but they still wanted to play. And so we started sponsoring that league. And um, so we would buy them like equipment and uniforms and stuff like that. And 10 years later, like they have six teams and I'm still volunteering as a coach, even though I know nothing about hockey. And uh, the kids always look amazing. And we were at a game last night. We won and we got accused of, of running a rep program because our kids were all like dressed up well and well-trained, you know, and it's just like, that's the kind of stuff you can do if you have time and money. Yeah. And I'm sure, you know, a, a large part of that, uh, of your generosity is just who you are as a person. But do, uh, do you think some of it also comes from the fact that you did come from a place where you were a struggling gym owner that, uh, you know, pretty much started from scratch. Thanks for saying that, Derek. Um, maybe, but you know what? I think most gym owners are like that. And that's, that's why I want to empower gym owners. You know, like there are all kinds of bad examples of people who should not be given a million dollars. But I think if you put a million dollars into the hands of every gym owner today, you're going to see a tremendous amount of good done with that money. Yeah, I would wholeheartedly agree. Now, you, your fitness has like shifted quite a bit over the years. You know, you mentioned that you were into powerlifting, um, and now you're very heavily into cycling, and those two things are not one and the same. <laughs> so, no. what what does your fitness look like nowadays? Well, it's actually gone in a circle. So, I was a cyclist first, um, and then I got tired of just being a skinny runt, and so I I was like, what's the fastest way to gain muscle of uh, powerlifting. Okay. I'm going to start that. And, uh, just, you know, I kind of won the lottery with a couple of friends, met some guys who were legit powerlifters, good entrepreneurs, started training with them. The only local place that we could compete was a U.S. uh, level five prison. So we did that, you know, a couple times a year. And I, I basically did that until I found CrossFit. And then I did CrossFit for a decade. 
And uh, at one point I just kind of reached this burnout and I said, okay, I'm going to take four months off and uh, start training on the bike. And wouldn't you know it, I'm a way better cyclist than I was 15 years before that. And um, I found Strava, which is like CrossFit for the bicycle, basically. I have it too. Yeah. Yeah, man. Okay. And um, so the first summer I'm like, this is just amazing. And started meeting a few friends online on Zwift through the winter, um, went back to CrossFit for the winter. And then I, I just started realizing like, because of the powerlifting and because of the CrossFit, my power output's outstanding compared to a lot of people. And so I could actually like do this and I, I just love it. And so like um, four times a week, I'm on the bike now, even through the winter, I trained this morning. I ride with other people from two brain on Thursday mornings. We all meet on Zwift and just, you know, ride along and tell stupid jokes and stuff. And then I <laughs> ride with my friends in the summer. Yeah. Now how much of, how much of that for you is time spent between your, uh, your own two years where you're not listening to music or you're free, you know, you're free from distraction. If I'm riding in zone two, like heart rate 60 to 70% of max, I can write like two or three podcasts in an hour. Um, but most of the time I'm actually training. So it's, it's hard. Like you, you got to listen to old school rap and stuff. Um, <laughs> yeah. like ghetto boys, uh, you're probably too young to know what ghetto boys are, but like, that's what I was listening to this morning. Fantastic. So, yeah, no, that's, that's so true. Yeah. Zone two is definitely, it's like a hotbed for, for creativity and thinking, but the minute you get outside of that, yeah, it starts getting really tough to put anything <laughs> coherent together. <laughs> It's hotbed for hate. My yeah. my cycling coach is Josh Grinnell. And, and last week, so I was riding on this different app called Ruby and um, none of my friends are on it. So I'm riding alone, but you can program robots to ride against. And I'm like, dude, it is so easy to hate a robot. Like that's why I did so well on this workout. I'm chasing down these, these robots that are programmed to ride at like 3.5 watts per kilogram. And um, like, it's easy to hate a robot. So I'm going to keep attacking them all day, you know? <laughs> That's great. Do yeah. you have any other uh, mentors in the fitness space? I know you had Peter Atia in with Tinker. Oh yeah, man. So so Atia came in with Tinker. Um, we try to bring people in like that all the time, and I'm just kind of drawing a blank right now. My last conversation with somebody in the fitness space was Kalipa last week, um, and then I um, I have a nutrition coach and I have a cycling coach, and then. Um, I'll ride in a series of like online races in January and then I'll go back to CrossFit and I'll have a CrossFit coach again. Now you mentioned a little bit about how your nutrition uh, is important to you in terms of the way that you feel, you know, yeah. you mentioned things like sugar and then those sort of things. Uh, is there anything dietary wise right now that you're doing or changes that you've made recently? Um, my carb intake is up right now because my training volume is really high. Um, well, my total caloric intake is up right now, basically because of training volume. Um, last year I made the mistake of trying to drop weight too fast because I thought like if I could maintain a, you know, 300 Watts for an hour, but I was 10 pounds lighter, I would just smash everything. And that didn't happen. <laughs> so, um, I just, I dropped weight too fast, but right now, like what I notice is that if I'm off sugar, I feel a lot smarter. And, mm. um, if I'm off beer, I don't gain weight. So, yeah. Isn't it funny how there's this, 
tug of war in nutrition where it's it's really hard to optimize, almost near impossible to optimize for performance, but also like mental performance and how you feel like there's those three things, right? It's like, you're juggling three balls. It's like you have this like physical performance and things that make you feel great inside of the gym in the middle of a workout after the workout, the ability to recover. You have the, the other one, which is like how you feel mentally and sharpness and, and reaction time and ability to think deeply and get into a flow state. And then, you know, you, you have, uh, you know, the third one, which is like, just, like your ability to, um, to tolerate the food well, you know? And like, I feel like we're constantly juggling all these things. And it's funny because I'll have athletes that are like optimized for one, but stressed in the other. And it's like, it's just hard. It's, you can't do all at once. Yeah. It's very true, man. Yeah. In fact, like if I, if I'm short of protein or whatever for the day, often I'll eat it too late at night and then I won't sleep well. And then, you know, you kind of get this compounding effect the next day. So that, that is something that I'm challenged with. The other thing too, is like with this much training volume, I do need a lot of carbs more than I've eaten in decades and carbs make me feel dumb. Like I forget stuff. I lose focus. I get distracted. (laughs) So I really have to time things out. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's something fun to play with. And I think it's important for people to hear that even, even people that have been in the industry for multiple decades still are playing with, you know, it's, it's something that's never perfect. That's why we need coaches, man. Yeah. Well, Chris, a a compliment that I feel entirely obliged to give to you is that prior to two brain, I felt like I was a great coach that was struggling as a business owner. Mm -hmm. And then I onboarded and got involved with two brain. And over enough time, I was able to look myself in the mirror and say, I'm a great coach and a great business owner, but I felt like a struggling entrepreneur. And then it came to a point where I was the great coach, the great, uh, you know, um, gym owner and a good entrepreneur. And now I feel like I'm in this segment where I'm the entrepreneur looking to become a leader. So genuinely from the bottom of my heart, seriously, like, thank you so much um, for all that you do and all of the people that you've helped because they've subsequently been able to share that wealth and that help with all of the gym owners that are part of two brain. So seriously, like, thank you so much for who you are, what you believe in and what you do. Thanks, Derek. That's a tremendous compliment. And the one thing that I've learned most recently on being a good leader is how to accept a thank you. And I had, <laughs> I had to practice it. Um, but thank you. Yeah, I agree with you on that. It can be hard to take compliments sometimes. Dude, that was an exercise at Tinker in um, Charlotte. So we had to sit. I, so Ryan Stamper was my partner for this. He's in Nashville. And um, you had to compliment the other person, which was easy. And they had to take it for two minutes. And Ryan and I do not do <laughs> Oh, that it was like, can I just do burpees? Oh, you know? that, that sounds like my personal hell. Oh my God. It's, so, it's I went through man. a phase, Chris, I went through a, a phase with no lie where I literally, if someone gave me a compliment, I, I would think less of them because I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, you shouldn't be complimenting me. Like, like you, if you knew more, if only you knew more about me, you wouldn't be complimenting me. You know, it took me forever to get over that. So I agree with you. And I think that the better we become at accepting compliments, the easier it is and the more genuine they feel when we give them. Yeah, very true. Good point. I'm going to write that yeah. down. <laughs> We're both taking well, notes here. That trust was a me. great one, man. That's so good. Yeah. Well, um, 
again for the thousandth time, thank you so much. Um, this was a blast having you on here, and I hope that someday in the future we can do it again. Absolutely, I'd love to, Derek. Thank you very much. You're a great interviewer. Hey, I greatly appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> More reps. <laughs> Until next time. Yeah. Thank you again for jumping on the podcast today. I just want to take a quick second to remind you that we post a lot of free and helpful content on our social media pages. You can find us at Hardbat Athletics on Instagram and Facebook and visit our website at www.hardbatathletics.com to learn more about what we do at our facility. Let's keep raising the standard together.